Welcome to the All Things Nintendo podcast. I'm Brian Shea from Game Informer, and this is a weekly podcast to discuss all the biggest news and games from the world of Nintendo. Excuse my voice, because I have spent the last week out in Seattle at PAX West and Nintendo Live, plus visiting the Pokemon Company International's U.S. headquarters. So my voice is a little shot, uh, but I am going to put on my big boy pants because I could not skip this week. Believe it or not, this is episode 100 of All Things Nintendo, and we have a lot to talk about. Uh, For those who consume the show on YouTube, you will notice that this is actually the first episode, aside from my Tears of the Kingdom spoiler cast, that is in full video. We're going to try this out this week for episode 100, and with any luck, it'll be this way going forward. But we'll see. I'm not a video editor, so we're just going to roll with it, do our best, and... We'll try to keep this going as long as we can. But joining me for episode 100, Game Informer's own Marcus Stewart. Marcus, how are you doing today? I'm feeling so good. I, um, you know, congrats, Brian, on 100 episodes. That's awesome. Thank you. And, you know, I decided to, to go all out, taking advantage of the video format of like, this is all things Nintendo, right? So I decided to really take that to heart and and be all things Nintendo myself. I've got my uh, Mario shirt. I got my Mario Cappy cap. Um, I brought some some other items here that okay. were uh, within its arm's reach. I've got, uh, of course, you got a, a Switch here. Nintendo. Oh, the, a, a famously Nintendo product. Yeah. With and, non-Nintendo Joy-Cons, I see. Well, you know, <laughs> they, they said yes to it, I guess. <laughs> All things Nintendo and also some third-party stuff. And also some Hori pads. Um, but, you know, <laughs> went from the highest highs, I guess, right now to the maybe the lowest lows. Got a Wii, Wii U. Wii U gamepad. To, so if you thought that I'm like a Nintendo uh, like fake fan. It's like, I, I'm one of the three people that bought this thing at launch. So <laughs> I've, got, I've got, and I've got a, uh, I've got a Famicom here. Whoa. Japanese Famicom. Yeah. Got Did it. You buy that while you were, uh, what was that? The resident evil trip? Uh, no, this was the, uh, this was Tokyo game show last year. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. so- I almost bought one of those myself when I was out there. Cause it's very cool. You go into the stores, they have them all wrapped up. Like yours still is. And uh, yeah, you can just pick them right off the shelf. Uh, did you get it at Super Potato? I did. I got yeah. that in a couple game or three game. Uh, like the Japanese versions of Mario, both versions of Mario Two mm-hmm. and Mario Three. Couldn't find Mario One, unfortunately. But oh wow, those. yeah. I usually see uh, those everywhere. Yeah, I guess I missed it at the one that I went to. But um, I've got a Master Sword for Zelda. Oh. Look at that. That's oh, the Thin Blade one. Yeah, and we got a. Tomb yeah, I got there. that exact same plushie. This is. Just thrilling for the audio listeners. <laughs> yeah, you can imagine all of the exciting things that you're hearing about. Uh, and of course, we got Mario himself here. Oh, man. Out. I've been and... trying to get him on the show forever. <laughs> well, we can, we can I just leave him on camera and it's kind of the same thing. And you're just like, <laughs> he showed up for episode 100. And I don't know, I have an R-Wing too. Oh, okay. Yeah. From the uh, the the Ubisoft game, what was God, what was it called? Uh, Starlink. Starlink. Battle for Atlas. The the ba- Atlas. The Switch version. The best Star Fox game in years. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, that, that's all I have. That's all I could gather. Right well, now, I appreciate but... you uh, bringing out, just pulling up all the stops for this yeah. episode 100. Uh, and you know, what do I have around me within arm's reach? I did not come as prepared as you. Let's see, have... I'm trying to see what's in your like what's in your camera that I can s- spot that goes Nintendo that thing. And I do have like if you look over my shoulder, like I do have like the Hyrule Historias and like the the different like Zelda books that were put out, I have the Mario anniversary. But yeah, 
also just off camera i have all of my like mario figures and amiibos and zelda and all that stuff up there so okay. i do have plenty of nintendo stuff it's just not in like, the camera say, you have a guitar or... i do have a guitar kk slider from animal crossing really big on guitars yes nice. so marcus we have a lot to talk about this episode nintendo decided to lose its mind this week and announced pretty much everything <laughs> Uh, so this might be a slightly longer than usual uh, news segment. And uh, leading off, Nintendo finally released the video that they promised us of Charles Martinet and Shigeru Miyamoto thanking fans for supporting Charles Martinet's run as the voice of Mario, Luigi, Wario, Waluigi, and everybody else. Yeah, was that uh, technically a, a live on-air firing that we <laughs> witnessed when you think about it? It seemed a little bit like that. Like, you know, watching it, it's like, this is obviously a PR move. Cause they, they probably were like, all right, Charles Martinet is no longer going to voice the character. People are going to be upset about this. It was like, kind of like when David Hayter was no longer the voice of Snake in Metal Gear Solid. It's like, right. bring him back. But like, you know, it, it seemed like, okay, if we don't put out a video of like Charles Martinet looking happy and like interacting with Shigeru Miyamoto, people are really going to be upset. And people still are probably going to be upset, but... I think this was a good PR move to to put this video out. Yeah, it was a fun little video. Like it was, it doesn't give the thing that I was kind of hoping for of like announcing his successor. Cause we know that Super Mario Brothers uh, wonder as like new voices for the character. So I was kind of waiting for like, and we got this person to play Mario now. Uh, we did not get that, which I guess makes sense. It's more about giving Charles his flowers than being like, also here's your replacement buddy. Uh, but it was cool, you know, it was, I mean, I, I almost want to think like, is that the last time we're going to hear him do those voices like on camera? Hmm. Yeah, no, but... there'll be social media videos and everything. Like, it's funny, the time I met Charles Martin, I actually asked if he would do a video with me and he said that he had to, he was too busy at the time, but he did take a picture and signed an autograph and everything like that. Very, very kind man. And it's a bummer that he's no longer going to be there. But like the whole point of the video was like, yeah, I'm going to be traveling the world and going to all these Nintendo events and, you know, meeting fans still. So it's, uh, it seems like he'll still be very involved with the franchise. He's known as yeah. now the uh, Mario ambassador, which, you know, I guess before that it was Shigeru Miyamoto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like everyone at Nintendo in a, in a high enough position is more or less that to some degree, but uh, I mean, that's a cool I mean, what he's like in his late sixties now, right? Charles oh, Martinet. I looked this up like, when we did the like. The I believe episode he's, a couple weeks ago. I want to say he's pushing seventies. I was like, the the reasoning for why he would not be doing the voice again. I I always assumed it was more just like an age thing, you know. Even though he could still do it, I was like, well, he's been doing it for so long, and he's again, he seems like he's pushing seventy. This is probably a better move for him, especially maybe in terms of like consistent work i mean he does other i think people forget that charles martinet is like an accomplished voice actor and not just like mario or like nintendo characters like he's got a lot of uh like a long credits you know i guess history um but you know voice acting especially for mario games that only come out like once every few years and i don't even know if they ever if he always re-records new lines for each one i always assumed no um but having like a steadier sort of like schedule and gig i mean i was like oh that's probably like that sounds pretty cushy for like at his <laughs> at this stage in his career like good for him like that sounds pretty neat yeah and maybe it, better <laughs> i mean I, I think that he's done it for long enough i'm very like i love his portrayal of mario and like all the other characters but like 
I'm happy for him if this really is like his decision. He's just like, you know what, it's time. Maybe seeing Chris Pratt voice Mario on the big screen was enough of a thing to him to be like, yeah, it's time. I, I don't need to do this anymore. Like, like, he, he listened to that and he's like, well, I can't top that. Better step aside. <laughs> That'd be funny if they did try to like announce like, all right, now to announce the guy who's going to be doing the voice. Welcome, Chris-san. And it's like, oh, my God, we're back to this. <laughs> Just, <laughs> let's uh, go. That's my Chris Pratt. <laughs> stomping on, I'm ready to stomp on some Koopas in uh, Super Mario Brothers Wonder. All right. Speaking of Super Mario Brothers Wonder, we got a Nintendo Direct this week, Marcus. This time focused solely, or I guess it was last week, focused solely on Super Mario Brothers Wonder and... I think we covered most of it in the preview of last that I gave in last week's episode, but the couple of takeaways that I I had from like you know having played it already and watching this, uh, there's gonna be seven areas in Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Uh, let's see, World One is Pipe Rock Plateau, World mm-hmm. Two is Fluff Puff Peaks, World Three is Shining Falls, and there's a central place called Petal Isles. They didn't re- reveal the names of the worlds that are uh, the three final worlds. Um, They also showed several new levels and wonder effects that I did not see uh, when I played. And then they also announced a uh, new Mario Red edition of the Switch OLED, which looks very good. Um, But I've held off on the OLED this long. I don't think I'm gonna be jumping in at this point, but how are you feeling about Super Mario Brothers Wonder so far? I'm feeling good. I'm ready for a new 2D Mario. Like I love the 3D games to death. Odyssey I thought was pretty fantastic. But like I was thinking about this the other day, I was trying to remember like was I guess Mario Brothers U was the last one, right? Or was it two on 3D? I forget which one. Came no, it was first. you. It was you. Okay. Um, which I thought was the best of those new games, which can feel a little like like they're all good, but they're pretty safe. I guess the best thing I could say about, or like maybe the worst thing I could say. But just seeing how trippy this is, and just how they're just leaning into just the bizarreness of Mario, which is one of the things I liked about Odyssey with the transformations. Like that was just so weird and, and kooky. And I like mm-hmm. that they're just kind of like staying on that on, on that lane for this. Um, it looks great. I'm I'm super ready for it. Yeah, I am too. I I played it again at Nintendo Live last weekend. Guess what? It's still fun. So I'm hey. very very much looking forward to that. Comes out October 20th. Uh, speaking of new Switch models, Nintendo also announced two new Animal Crossing models of the Switch Lite. So we have Isabelle's Aloha Edition and Timmy and Tommy's Aloha Edition. Uh, they will be available starting on October 6th at Target and Walmart, respectively. So I guess Isabelle's is only available at Target and Timmy and Tommy's is only available at Walmart. But then it looks like there's going to be a wider release on October 20th. So I guess if you don't want to give them your money, you can go somewhere else starting October 20th. Uh, the Isabel version is pink, and then the Timmy and Tommy version is kind of like a bluish version, and they'll cost $200. But I don't know who's buying a Switch Lite this late in the game, uh, particularly one themed after Animal Crossing, which feels like its moment has passed. I feel like I've said that for every time they release like late-gen console revisions until you get like an NPD sales report and you're like, oh, this thing sold like a gazillion units. I guess <laughs> these people are out there, which I mean, there's always people that just, that hold off, right? Like they mm-hmm. just, in, for whatever reason, because of budget or whatever, or just interest. But it's like, I bet this does just fine, especially people that were on the fence about a Switch Lite. And this is the one thing like, oh, I love Animal Crossing. This is the one I'm going to get in. Same with the OLED of like, I don't have an OLED either, but if that's the one that hits like Mario Red, I've 
I only bathe in Mario Red. This is the one I've been waiting for. <laughs> so I'm going to get that one. Uh, so I'm sure it'll do just fine. I'm sure it will, but it's just, I can't imagine buying a Switch this late in the game, a new Switch this late in the game, especially when there are so many rumors swirling about like the next Nintendo console, mm. which brings us to our next news item. <laughs> and uh, that comes from Eurogamer and Video Game Chronicle. And according to their report... Demos of the next Nintendo platform were reportedly given to developers behind closed doors at Gamescom. So that was a few weeks ago or a couple weeks ago, but uh, both Eurogamer and Video Game Chronicle said the demos featured a higher performance version of Breath of the Wild running on the system that has better specs. So I guess presumably it's showing it at higher frame rates or maybe higher detail. I don't know, but... They, they're also saying that there's no indication it's going to be re-released on the new console. It was likely just for the sake of demonstrating the new power. And then uh, VGC... Wouldn't it be great if it just looked like that Zelda Wii U demo with the spider, but it was Breath <laughs> of the Wild, but it was like the same graphic style? Hey, uh, why not? It looks like, that, we that swear we're awesome. going to make this one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, VGC says that the specs of the new Nintendo console are closer to what PlayStation and Xbox are currently offering. So if that is the case, that uh, that's, that's pretty enticing right there. And then uh, the report that we talked about a few weeks ago mentioned that Nintendo is planning a holiday 2024 release. And uh, some developers already have it in hand, according to that report. So they're, they're already checking it out, like the dev kits. But Eurogamer reports that if Nintendo can launch it sooner, it will. So it's very much up in the air. We probably won't be hearing anything about it if this is all in fact true. It seems like there's almost too much smoke for there not to be any fire at this point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it would make sense for something as big as Gamescom, especially in the absence of E3, that that's where they would do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's got to be the case, especially like, I guess they could do it at Tokyo Game Show, but there's a lot of developers that skip that. Yeah, that game, like I said, Gamescom's kind of the last big one of those outside of like, maybe like a dice, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I, man, how long do you think that NDA was that they had to sign oh, to see that? And how threatening do you think it read? Well, eternally <laughs> is the answer to both of those questions. It is eternally uh, effective and eternally threatening because if we've learned one thing about Nintendo, they are quite litigious. They had to sign, a, sign it in blood before they sat down. There's probably an execution clause. If you, if you tell any details to anybody, we have a guillotine in the back. It's just got a little Mario hat on top of the blade. <laughs> that was a much better joke. I was going to say it's Pinsir from Pokemon. Come out here and just, just lop your head off. Uh, but Marcus, you were on the episode where we originally discussed that report and, uh, you know, it's been a few weeks since that report came out and when we talked about, like, what we actually want. But now that you've thought about it a little bit more, what is your number one must-have for a next Nintendo console? Um, it's weird because it sounds like this is going to be the case, but, like, uh, keeping it portable was the the big one. And I, that probably is a given because it's just, like, it's just such a good idea. It's like, I, I know Nintendo likes to change things up and, and, and do something different, but I, I feel like that's the one. It's like, I... I want at least one of the three major consoles to be a hybrid console now. Like I need, cause I like having that choice of like, like there are times I'll get a third party game just for switch. Cause you're like, Oh, this is perfect to just take anywhere. I like having that option between the big three players. And that's also what, uh, 
makes them stand out uh from sony and microsoft so I, that's probably like a softball pick is like it almost assuredly will be but i, I mean, can't imagine it wouldn't yeah but again nintendo sometimes you never know right um <laughs> but outside of that i mean uh if, if i mean it, it, hmm, it's weird because there's there's some things that are like I was going to say, like, everything running at 60, but, I mean, some games do run on 60 on Switch. It just depends. Um, if it was, like, a if they made the Xbox promise of, like, no, all our first-party stuff, 60, which, honestly, I would believe them if they did it because their games are never, like, they don't push to the point where, like, oh, we can't do 60, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so it's, like, I, they could probably actually deliver on that. Uh, I mean... Just give us the promise that Pokemon will run at higher than, like, 12 frames per second. It's like yeah, like they have to have uh, the Pokemon company shoot a separate promise as the video. But like we swear <laughs> that our games will work on. We'll, we're gonna really sit down with this new system and figure out how to 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 really get the most out of it. We have um, hired more employees. <laughs> that's the, that's the number one thing. Like they are a pretty small like, team, right? Game Freak is like relevant to what about, they make. Yeah, because the Pokemon franchise is the highest grossing entertainment franchise on the planet. Mm-hmm. like it, it completely blows like marvel disney everything out of the water but they just like game freak you know who's the company that is in charge of making the mainline games has just always traditionally been a very small studio so i think that when they made the jump to like developing for switch they staffed up from like 100 employees to like 200 employees mm-hmm. I think that was like kind of the number that they went to but then they started this initiative to try to create another new IP, which took people oh, off right. the Pokemon. So it's like, you know, we got like a little town hero. That was the game, right? That's like, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which didn't do very well. Um, and they got the new one they're working on now with Private Division. Yeah. So uh, let's see. I want to look at like a basis of comparison here. Um, and this is just a very... <clears throat> How many employees does Bungie have? Okay, so they have a few more than Game Freak. According to Wikipedia, they have 1,500 employees. (laughs) (laughs) That is as of this year, according to Wikipedia. They have 1,552 employees. So a few more than Game Freak. Just a little bit. Yeah, that's a... I mean, like you said, they have the money. I mean, a lot of it's probably sitting in like a Scrooge McDuck vault <laughs> that they swim in on every now and then. But I mean, I think it's just a case of like they have been developing for portable systems for so long. And the games they do create for for a console, like look at like Tembo the Badass Elephant, for example. They're not like yes. super graphically intensive. Right. So I think that they just need to shift their mindset away from, all right, we only need 200 employees. And again, maybe they've staffed up since then. Let me Let me see if like there's a more up-to-date number here okay. oh the numbers actually changed as of 2022 they're down to 169 <laughs> oh they lost people yeah <laughs> oh okay according um, to wikipedia again according to wikipedia which is maybe they were uh, like a little con- suspect maybe they were like contractors maybe i i don't know how much like if they, how much outsourcing or any of that stuff that game freak does but yeah uh well we'll see i guess with pokemon a uh, radiant yellow and shining turquoise, whatever the next game winds up being. Uh, We're going to mark that. We're going to timestamp you saying that. And if the next Pokemon game is called that, <laughs> I owe you a Luigi plushie to go with your Mario plushie. You know, I do need a Luigi, but he is pretty lonely. Uh, <laughs> what plushies do I have? I do have a few. I have a, 
a Knuckles plushie that I won at Dave and Buster's. Oh. And I have a Sonic plushie, but it's from Sonic Boom. Oh, so he's got the wrappings around him. <laughs> he does. I also have a little like it's just off camera on this side, but it's a uh, Chibi Dragonite plushie. Okay. And then I have a Fue Coco plushie. So I. Oh, that's a good one. That is a good one. I did meet Fue Coco at Nintendo Live, but we're going to talk about that later. Oh, okay. Um, all right. So we also got more news from the world of Nintendo. Tears of the Kingdom this time. So another big game. We got an interview that Famitsu did with Eiji Aonuma and Hidemaru Fujibayashi. And in addition to them being extremely non-committal <laughs> about the timeline, they kind of hinted like, well, you know, I could imagine a time where, or a way that like even the past events take place after the latest game in like the, the pre-Breath of the Wild timeline. Right. It's fun to think about. Like they didn't give us like an answer, but like it does seem to like they hint that it's going to be like, you know, it came after the other stuff. Right. And, but like, they weren't like, oh yeah, it absolutely takes place. Like the past, cause like we know that we know where Breath of the Wild stands on the timeline and we know that Tears of the Kingdom happens after Breath of the Wild, but with all the time travel stuff, it's like, all right, is that like way at the beginning of like the original Zelda timeline? Is that in between like the last game on the timeline and the beginning of Breath of the Wild? It's somewhere in like that 10,000 or whatever year gap. Or what it's is funny it? that you said we, because I actually have no idea where the Breath, Breath of the Wild Tears of the Kingdom sit on the timeline of like, I don't follow the Zelda timeline. I, I only kind of. It's weird to say believe in it because it makes it sound like it's a religion, but to some people it kind of is. <laughs> but Nintendo has been very clear they do not go with, they don't like to tangle religion with the Legend of Zelda franchise. Just look at the Fire Temple in Ocarina of Time. They released that on N64 and it had like religious chants and then they're like, oh, that's a religious chant. Let's get rid of that in subsequent releases. <laughs> oh, that's Jesus that they're saying. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but like, what they do next, I, I mean, that's the that's exciting. It's always been exciting, like coming out of Breath of the Wild and how amazing that game was. It's like, what do you do with this? And not knowing how to answer that question, and then they answer it in a resoundingly successful way with Tears of the Kingdom, to where now I'm back there of like, I mean, I'm at the point where it's like, I, I want this in every Zelda, like vehicle building. Like, I, I, we're not going to get it because that's just not what they do, really. They don't, they just kind of move on. But like it's like I kind of want this going forward. This is just such a great idea. How do we how do we live without this? Uh, so whether well, or not, I mean, do you think then? I I have a hard time believing the third game will be Breath of the Wild style. Honestly, well, we, let's start here first. Another okay. one of the interview, one of the things that came out of this interview was that we probably aren't going to get any DLC, which is something that I think not a lot wrong. of people were just straight up say no. Uh, well. I think that it's it's pretty much a confirmation that there's not, but like, you know, the no plans at this time is kind of like the way to say it. But like, you know, money talks. This is going to be one of the highest selling games on the Switch, which, you know, is Nintendo's highest selling console ever. Yeah. I guess it just feels like cause they announced the Breath of the Wild DLC like almost immediately, right? When that yeah, game so, came out, like, it wasn't that far apart from the launch. So here's Aonuma's quote. He said, quote, there are no plans to release additional content at this time. But that's because I feel like we've done everything we can to create fun in that world. In the first place, the reason I decided to make this a sequel to the previous work was because I thought there was value in experiencing a new game in that Hyrule place. If that's the case, if a new reason arises, we might return to the same world again. Whether it's a sequel or a new work, I think it's going to be a completely new game. So I hope you're looking forward to it. It wouldn't be a Nintendo quote if it's, I hope you're looking forward to it. But... Um, <laughs> 
yeah, I mean, I, I would be surprised if we got DLC coming after that quote, but you never know. However, I think that, I mean, I pitched my idea for a, a, the trilogy capper on Twitter uh, yesterday. And my idea is, you know, we fought Ganon in the first, in Breath of the Wild. We fought Ganondorf in Tears of the Kingdom. Let's fight the other, like, original big bad, the original inca incarnation of evil demise from Skyward Sword. Basically, the original incarnation of evil that then becomes, like, the hatred that fuels Ganon and Ganondorf. In Skyward Sword, Demise is defeated and then sealed away inside the Master Sword. And mm -hmm. what happens in the beginning of Tears of the Kingdom? The Master the Sword, Sword is destroyed. For the That's the first time I've ever seen the Master Sword get destroyed. Like, I, it, it's lost its power and all that stuff. But in Tears of the Kingdom, the Master Sword gets destroyed. Why not have a story beat that follows that that says when that happened, the spirit of Demise was freed and, you know, he started... Uh, kind of powering back up. And now that Ganon Ganondorf have been defeated, it's time for Demise to kind of have this climactic battle with Link and Zelda. And guess what? Now the Triforce is the thing at stake because the Triforce has also been extremely absent from this series of games, the, this sub-series, oh, yeah. Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. Hardly any mentions of the Triforce. There is a cutscene at the end of Breath of the Wild where we briefly see the Triforce and uh but yeah outside of like the insignia all over the place there's very little fanfare paid towards the triforce which you know literally the logo of the game and like the basically the infinity stones of of the zelda franchise and it's like how what happened to this thing it takes place so far in the future maybe the triforce is just considered lost at this point but like some acknowledgement of that and like demise being like hey i'm i'm gonna come back and actually find this triforce and like end this bloodline of these heroes and princesses once and for all like i don't know i think that would be a fun way to kind of cap off this trilogy of games but that's just one guy's pitch Who yeah I? I mean no that's a cool idea actually and like they could actually use that segue to um to establish like the next maybe non-breath of the wild zelda because like demise could kind of bide his time and wait for so long that it'd be like a like basically the timeline would i guess reboot or whatever it does when it's like if this is a new link and this is a new style of zelda and he, he's back baby demise uh so that i mean that could be a narrative connection between this game and whatever comes next um i like your idea about if they were bold enough to be like i'm gonna kill the timeline like if they adopted the star wars sequels line of like we gotta let the past die and then we're gonna usually <laughs> have old i want to do like what if they just introduce a new protagonist and we have old link and old zelda and they're like the they're the ones going around and be like hey the triforce it's real <laughs> <laughs> the courage wisdom power all of it real so does this surprise you this this news that there's not going to be any dlc yeah because again like breath of the wild had uh, like the whole season pass thing with the, the the master trials like i thought we would get new master trials especially that'd be cool with with the weapon or not weapon but like fusing and 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 uh ultra hand stuff of like if you can design some really challenging like dungeons or puzzles around that uh that seems like that would be the way to go so bit of a bummer uh so i, I mean i i kind of maybe it's because we're so close to a new switch that they're just sort of ready to move on to the next game that's going to be for that system 
uh and i guess breath of the wild i mean breath of the wild tears of the kingdom is not lacking for content Mm -hmm. (laughs) either so i mean it's not like it's hurting from not having dlc but i am surprised that they're not doing anything with it yeah because we even got story content dlc it wasn't just like the the master trials that we got like we got an entire uh the champions ballad dlc which like you know expanded the story of breath of the wild so it's like i'm surprised we didn't get anything uh related to any kind of story elements yeah and i haven't finished tears of the kingdom yet so i don't know if the story ends in a way where you can kind of see like oh they could there's a door open that they could explore with dlc actually on this weird sign change i got the master sword recently in that game and that might be one of the best moments of the year <laughs> it's, oh it's so good it's amazing i i was i was genuinely emotional when it happened uh but yeah uh, so yeah i don't know maybe maybe the game ties a bow to we're like ah we don't i don't know what else you you could say about this or story you could tell in this in this game um but yeah it, it, it's a it's a bummer but it's not like a it's not like devastating it's like i said I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be playing that game long after i finish the story because there's still so much to discover and do in that game yeah and wh- you heard my pitch what would your pitch be for the next zelda game i mean in i mean in the immediate future like the, whatever the next one is i would actually really like a 2d one yeah uh i know that's like a basic answer but like even if it's a not even necessarily maybe a remaster like if they don't just do another remake like the dead links awakening but they're like the next big zelda is 2d again but it's got all this new stuff so something if they introduce the mechanic as radical as like the the wall painting stuff and link between worlds uh like yeah we got all these new ideas for a 2d space i i i would be down for that of like it's it's still taking it's like taking a step back to take two steps forward Mm-hmm. basically uh so i would I, and i would love to see them take all the lessons they learned from breath of the wild and apply it to a td format that isn't just a you know using a blueprint from one of the classic games i would just want a link between worlds on switch to be perfectly honest i mean i'll take that too that game think, absolutely rules i mean we can that's probably uh, you god knows how long we can't even get wind waker and twilight princess <sighs> on switch yeah <laughs> I did. I, I, was, I had conversations with some people at Nintendo while I was out at Nintendo Live, and I definitely mentioned a link between worlds, Wind Waker, and Twilight Princess. I was like, "Look, there are so many Zelda games, but like, why not just just get the other ones?" And yeah, I, I, I mean, they obviously yeah, told me nothing, but <laughs> I appreciate you being the voice of the voiceless. Got to speak it up for all of us. Exactly. Like, you know, get to meet with some Nintendo people. You got to air your your uh, your wish list, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what else are they there for? <laughs> exactly. They're just there to hear, basically just word vomit right onto their face. <laughs> uh, but, Marks, I think we're down to the final first-party Nintendo announcement of the week, and then we're going to do some quick-hit third-party stuff. We have four new games on Nintendo Switch Online. Uh, kind of a weird one here. Three of them were never released in the U.S., which is always a cool thing, because like I've talked about this in the past, where like Nintendo Switch Online, at first, I was team virtual console all the way like i wanted to own my games and everything and just but then like i bought these classic games so many times you had them on 3ds i had them on wii i had them on wii u i'm kind of glad to just pay this this yearly uh, subscription fee and just get them as they get added hmm. and also it gives me the chance that's like i already have the subscription i'm paying for the subscription so i can play things like majora's mask and like uh like super mario world whenever i want to and also play online obviously but games like this get added and I'm like, oh, I wouldn't pay like $10 for these games standalone, but 
if I already have the subscription, maybe I'll check them out because three of them were never released in the US and never even translated into English. So this isn't like a big nostalgia play like a lot of these announcements are. So we have uh, on the NES side, we have uh, Joy, Joy Mech Fight, which is a fighting game created by Nintendo during the Famicom era. Mm. Um, plus Downtown Neketsu March Super Awesome Field Day, which is an action sports game. Sold. Uh, definitely not the uh, something that the U.S. marketing team would have done. So I'm, I'm guessing that's one of the three that was not translated into the <laughs> to English before. <laughs> Uh, then on the SNES, we have Kirby Star Stacker, which is a puzzle game that came to Game Boy and then was remade for the SNES. We're getting the SNES version. And then finally on Game Boy Color, we have the RPG Quest for Camelot. So uh, do any of these have you hankering for Switch Online content? Um, I'm curious about the Kirby one. I don't think I've ever heard of Kirby Star Stacker until now. I was thinking, I was like, I don't. I actually don't think I've ever, I definitely haven't played it. I was like, I'm, I don't think I know that one. So if I'm not mistaken, Quest for Camelot is the one that only, that, that came to the US. The other ones I believe were Japan only. Okay, so this, oh, so this is essentially a new Kirby for us then. I believe so. I mean, I'm going to that up. That's pretty, I mean, if so, that's pretty cool. Like, a, especially if you're a big Kirby fan, this is kind of like maybe getting to, to fill a gap uh, in your uh, knowledge base, but so the, the Game Boy I, version came to the U.S. The Super NES version that we are getting did not. Okay. I mean, that's still cool, especially if it's like maybe looks better or maybe has some bells and whistles the Game Boy version doesn't have. But uh, I mean, the second one that I, I, I think it ended with Super Field Day. <laughs> yes. Uh, that has my interest just on the title alone. I mean, it like you mentioned before, like the, the, uh, this is which online has the Game Pass appeal of like it's. These are games I would never go out of my way to play or purchase otherwise, but since they're here, I'm more inclined to just dive in there for maybe a half hour and just mess around with them and see if it takes. Um, what, so, you didn't remember the name Downtown Neketsu March Super Awesome Field Day? I I mean, but once I play it and then maybe wind up liking it, I will never stop shouting the name of Downtown Neketsu Super Awesome Super Field Day. Super Awesome Field Day. There we go. You remember the beginning, which is the hard part. Super awesome yeah. field day just rolls off the tongue. That would probably, if it was localized, it would probably be the title. They were probably cut off the first part, but like, I don't know, super awesome field day. Yeah. But anyway, that, those are out now, I believe. <laughs> I did not put the date in my notes. Um, we have a few other announcements that came out of this week, not from Nintendo, but uh, are related to Nintendo. Uh, sea of Stars. Mm. Kyle Hilliard gave his review last week. He was very positive on it. Everybody I've talked to that has played it is very positive on it. And Turns out there's some justice in this universe, Marcus, because it posted some super strong sales numbers. I saw. So much so that the studio, Sabotage, announced that its first week sales surpassed its first year projections. So yeah. uh, 250,000 copies sold, which I, so I guess because it's on PlayStation Plus and because it's on Xbox Game Pass, they probably, like, they probably forecasted on the lower side of things. But even so, it looks like a lot of people picked this game up, which is really promising because it sounds like it's really good. I have yet to start it. I'm such I'm so behind on all the games. I haven't played Baldur's Gate, haven't played Starfield hardly at all. I created my character and like got into space for the first time. And uh, Sea of Stars is really up there with those three titles that I need to play. And I, I'm really looking forward to it. But uh, have you had a chance to dive into it yet? 
not the full game. I played the demo. Love the demo. Um, I'm actually saving it because I, I have a work trip coming up. So I'm like, OK, this is going to be one of my my flight planes. I got two long flights ahead. Uh, so that'll be great. But yeah, I haven't had a chance to dive into it yet, but I'm, I'm super psyched. I, I love the messenger. And like I said, I love what I played of the demo for Sea of Stars. And you love to hear it, man, like uh, success stories like that, especially for smaller studios, because it's like a game that you never know if it's going to find an audience in like a broad way. Mm-hmm. You know, we had it on our cover because we thought it looked awesome. Um, but it, seeing stuff like that is always it's we're so used to hearing the bad things that happen to studios in this industry that it's always very heartwarming to see a great game find an audience and surpass expectations for once you know for sure and on that note i also did want to send my thoughts out to the team at volition the saints row developer red faction developer that was another announcement that came out that uh the studio had been shut down and that's really a bummer i worked closely with that team on our saints row cover story a couple of years ago and just a lot of really great really talented and hardworking people over there and uh you know just sending best wishes to them as they look for like whatever's next for them. So uh, unfortunate sure. news out of that. I wasn't even planning on covering it, but you mentioned like how we get bad news all the time. And, you know, for every good announcement like this, I feel like we get a bad announcement and that that's kind of the balance that we have here. And just a shame that that's what happened to Volition. So, uh, you know, definitely well wishes to everybody affected by those, the shuttering of that studio and the layoffs um marcus i had you on because you talked about shredder's revenge you reviewed that for us back in the day the new dlc for that game is out now i'm hearing it's really awesome we have not had a chance to check that out just yet but we learned that there's a new teenage mutant ninja turtles game coming out it's a spin-off of the mutant mayhem movie that just hit theaters a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and apparently it's going to be set a few months after the events of the movie and uh <laughs> the company behind it looks kind of like licensed property shovelware city looking at their website yeah i I thought the same thing when i wrote the story and i was looking into them yeah they have games based on things like the grinch baby shark paw patrol jumanji there's a transformers game uh so looking at their website maybe tempered my expectations a little bit put some respect on paw patrol's name (laughs) but like, I don't know, every once in a while, like, these games will come out of nowhere. And also, that last Ronin game looks like, I mean, we, we only have, like, the, the teaser trailer that shows zero gameplay. But that has a lot of promise, I think. But, so, like, maybe there's a TMNT game. And also, I'm just I'm, I'm just calling out the, the past work of this company. I'm going to totally reserve judgment until we see the game for ourselves. But I just wanted to mention that, you know, this isn't like, oh, the developer behind... The Witcher is making a Ninja Turtles game. It's like, no, we are uh, we just just keep that in mind. But anyway, it's right. set to come out in 2024 at some point. I haven't seen the movie yet, so no spoilers. Have you seen it? Yeah, I love it a lot. It's great. I really want to see. I think it's available on streaming services now. Like you can Already? buy it. Yeah, I think it. I I think once. Uh, I think September 1st was the date that it came to like Amazon and iTunes and everything. So I might go ahead and pick that up. Man. I finally saw the flash. It, it also came to Amazon and, and like iTunes and everything. So I had a flight, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I was traveling the last week and I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch the flash. That was one I did not get to theaters to see. Not a good movie, but, it, <laughs> but I, I had enough fun with it that I didn't regret my purchase. Like it's a I, good plane movie. If like, well, I'm here. Yeah. I did not regret spending, I guess it was like 
$11 that I spent. So I think it was $15 and then I had like $3 of promotional credit on Amazon. Gosh. So I was like, okay, that was worth the $11. It's funny you say that because I was talking to my mom this weekend and she saw The Flash. She's a big, she's a big nerd and I haven't seen it yet. And she also I'm telling you, a, you said that. Yeah, well, I, I, <laughs> she, she knows. But uh, she was like, have you seen The Flash? Like, no, not yet. I, eventually. And she's like, curious to hear your thoughts because... I don't know. <laughs> like her, her reaction was not promising, and hearing you say that, <laughs> kind of co cooperate that. <laughs> there were some moments that I loved. I absolutely loved some moments, and then there are other parts where it's like this story just is kind of falling apart at the seams. And then near the end, it really goes off the rails in mostly a bad way. Sometimes in a good way, but mostly in a bad way. Well, you know what? There's a really good uh, animated Flashpoint movie that. You can watch that's been out there for like a decade. Maybe go see that if you want that story, basically. <laughs> but yeah, there were, there was, again, there were enough good parts in there that I don't regret spending my money on or watching it. And we are speaking of off the rails, that has nothing to do with Nintendo. So let's get back to the other quick hit stuff that came out from the third parties. Uh, speaking of licensed games, we got a brand new Rugrats game announced. Yeah, what the heck? Yeah, I did not expect this. It is from the Mix Games. And uh, Wallride is the developer, but it it's an 8-bit game with the Rugrats, which pre the 8-bit era predates the Rugrats cartoon franchise as a whole, because the SNES came out in 1991, and so did the Rugrats. So this yeah. is like same year as Nirvana's Nevermind. The three big cultural touchstones that year: Nirvana, yeah. Rugrats, and the Super Nintendo. <laughs> so it's an 8-bit game. <clears throat> And it's playable on all modern platforms, but also the NES. So they're putting out an NES version, which is where I did my demo. And we'll talk about that in the main segment of today's show. Mm -hmm. But it's called Rugrats Adventures in Gameland. And uh, it's, I believe it's being distributed by Limited Run Games. So there is going to be a physical NES cartridge that you can buy. And it's fully playable on the NES. But then if you buy the SNES version or not the SNES version, the modern console version, you can do the HD mode. Like you push a button and it will swap into HD visuals, like widescreen, and it, the, the visuals look like the actual cartoon. Oh, so it's like a completely different art style? Yeah, it completely oh. changes the way the game looks. It even goes to widescreen instead of like the the uh the, the the normal the full screen format of the nes you mean like the original cartoon not the new cg one that's like on paramount plus correct the original okay. cartoon it looks like that um when you're playing it so yeah it, i had a good time with it we'll talk more about it in the main segment where i run down what i played while i was out in seattle but what is your interest in this game uh it's there i'm a huge rugrats fan i actually rewatched those like those classic seasons probably like two years ago on, on Amazon prime. Uh, I, I, I was a big Rugrats kid growing up. So, and, and I didn't really play too many of the video games uh, that I can remember. So this is like right up my alley. I just kind of, it's just such a weird random thing of like someone just decided to make a Rugrats game. <laughs> like, you know what? I'll play that. It's so random. And like, it was the, the what? announcement of the week you know like i saw that i think it was on i was on a plane when the press release came through and i did kind of like the double take like really there's a new rugrats game and it's an 8-bit throwback game and it also is playable on nes like it was just like what's in there it was like an ai generated game basically 
<laughs> AI, target nostalgia. Uh, actually, now that I have you, I meant to ask you this when I read your preview. You mentioned a segment where they, they encounter a gorilla, right? Correct. Now, was this the gorilla that was the, the toy gorilla from the episode where they were trapped oh. in the toy scooter and it fought Reptar? Do you, know, you remember what I'm talking about? Because I had that thought of like, it can't just be a gorilla, right? Thorg. If they were real Rugrats. Thorg. Yeah, Thorg hungry. Thorg won't eat. And I was like, if they were real Rugrats fans, it would be that gorilla. <laughs> it was a purple gorilla, so I think it must be Thorg. Okay, because you didn't call it Thorg in your previews. So I was like, maybe it's just a gorilla, but like... Because full disclosure, I forgot Thorg existed. I mean, that's like a memory you just unlocked like, from like 25 years ago. <laughs> I meant to DM you and then forgot just the, I was so curious. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a very simple explanation for why I didn't call him Thorg. Yeah, and I was like, maybe he's just around. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good call out on your part, Marcus. Um, the next one comes to us via Nintendo Life. And uh, did you have any fondness for Beyond Good and Evil? Uh, you know, I played that game for the first time. I streamed it on my personal Twitch channel like three years ago. And okay. that was the first time I'd ever played it. So I don't have, um, I appreciate it now, but it's from like a hindsight, modern sense of like, oh, I see why people like this. Yeah. Yeah. But I never played it in its day. Nor did I. I played it on an episode. Or I, I appeared on a couple episodes of Super Replay when we did it. Uh, I guess back I, in like 2016 or 2017. Actually, I did too, because that was back when I was an intern. And I remember doing, I was on an episode of that. <laughs> I forgot. Those were always good fun. But anyway, <laughs> if you want to play it again, it looks like Beyond Good and Evil 20th Anniversary Edition is about to be announced because the ESRB rated it for multiple platforms, including the Switch. And since the original came out in November 2003, I think that we're going to probably get an announcement pretty soon here. Now, this will almost certainly not happen. But if they have the, um, well, I see the balls, the audacity to remaster Beyond Good and Evil for the 20th anniversary, and you do not have a demo for Beyond Good and Evil 2 in there with it as like to, a double whammy of like, hey, we didn't forget this is happening. We're going to, this is how we're going to like, you know, present it to you for the first time. That just seems like what you would do. <laughs> <laughs> right if you want to just show a sign of life that this game exists is like also playable demo beyond good and evil 2 yeah but that that uh, you know that, that assumes that beyond good and evil 2 actually exists because well, i'm not convinced saying, I, I i mean they haven't i feel like the game's big enough where if it was canceled they would have come out and just said it i mean we're also waiting how many years now for skull and bones I mean, no, well, that's happening, though. <laughs> we think. I don't know. I'm surprised. I'm still surprised that game it. hasn't been canceled. I played it a couple weekends ago and that closed beta. I was like, all right, this is a real video game, I guess. I, I mean, I played it too, like eight years ago at E3. <laughs> no, I played it not, over nine years ago at E3. I played well, it saying, the I first played, time. I mean, no, you're right. I mean, that <laughs> that game seems like it's happening, at least, because they've done a few betas recently. And like I said, I got to touch it. Um, Used but, to say. But yeah, I, I like I said, it's not likely to happen, but it just feels like if they're... If they're going to do this move, because you know it's going to reignite the, hey, where is that sequel that you guys showed us? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, discussion. Is that is that still happening? Like, if you don't have an answer for that when you're putting this out, then I don't know, man. Seems like you might be doing something wrong. You know what I mean? God. So Skull and Bones development started 10 years ago. Because it, it was officially announced in 2017 at E3. 
Okay, so maybe it wasn't nine years ago that I played it. Then it was, you know, yeah, six it wasn't, years it ago. wasn't that old. I mean, it's, it's it's still a long time, but not that long. But I don't know why I thought it was my first E three that I played that, which was nine years ago. But yeah, I mean, Beyond Good and Evil Two was official, like officially officially announced. What like I think it was ten years ago when they put that concept art of like Paige in the desert with Jade. Remember? Let's look it up. Because that was like. I want to say that was almost like late 2000s or 2010 when they put that image out. And then the official, like that big gameplay reveal was like at E3. It wasn't a gameplay reveal, was it? It was just a CGI thing. I guess it thing. wasn't. Yeah. Uh, the, the one with uh, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, that, that was like 2017 too, right? Something like that. So E3 announcement was 2016, it says. 16, okay. So, that monkey. Yeah. yeah. And then we're just completely yeah and then the creative director i forgot about that he died earlier Recently. this year yeah july yeah. Uh, died suddenly at the age of 40 i forgot about that yeah Remember also, there was the um there was like the creator thing where they're like hey you can be like a you can help make the game basically like the fan initiative where they're like you can i forgot what you did exactly but it was kind of like the Mega Man legends 3 thing of like you could design enemies and we'll put it in the game or you can basically just help out like you'll get like an inside scoop i forgot what they called that you you remember what i'm talking about it was when they showed that e3 demo that they announced they were doing that and oh, i don't I, know what happened with that <laughs> they all those people were abducted and never seen again <laughs> uh, so which I one mean, of these which one of these quick hit third-party announcements are you most excited about that we just ran through uh we had ninja turtles we had rugrats we had beyond good and evil 20th anniversary and we have sea of stars being super successful <laughs> is that the hit sea those of stars. are the quick hits there uh, i mean sea of stars i'm gonna play it great for them that's again i'm always glad to have good news with that stuff uh i mean honestly beyond good and evil my i didn't know that till now actually uh so i kind of want to see what that looks like and again, to see if anything about the sec second game comes out of that conversation. Because again, I feel like they have to know that by uttering that name, it's going to reignite the, hey, what the, hey, you guys were giving us a sequel, right? What's going on with that? Is that yeah, happening? Yeah, remember that? So I kind of almost more interested in the fallout from this announcement than the actual remaster. I'll play it. <laughs> but I, I just want to see, like, you got to have an answer, right? You have to. You have to. <laughs> yeah. So the final news topic we'll be covering in this segment is a bit of a sad one, uh, but also not totally unexpected. Read Pop announced that it will no longer be organizing E3 going forward. So right. you may remember that Read Pop, they, I think it was last year, announced that they would be the organizers of E3 2023. Right. And they're the organizers of PAX for people yes. who don't know. So yeah. I just came from a PAX event. They're still kicking. They're still doing a good job. <clears throat> but... It seems like it was not enough because, you know, E3 2023 didn't happen. It's just outright canceled. So it seems like this was kind of like a uh, a, a mess, if, if we want to use that word. I mean, from the people that talked about the coordination with Repop and E3 at the time before it was canceled, it sounded like it was a mess of like basically not hearing anything until the absolute last minute. We're like, well, I guess this isn't happening because <laughs> we should have heard something months ago. Yeah, so they are no longer going to be involved, which I put out a tweet that said it's sounding more and more like nobody will be involved with E3 going forward. Because, like, if you can't, like, a, a company that has been, or an organizer that has been doing events for over a decade and a half can't get the most well established game show 
off the ground and like reinvent it and do it in an efficient manner. Like who is going to like the ESA has shown that they're not doing super great well, at it. Apparently someone is. Cause they already said they're doing one, not only next year, but 2025. Well, good luck. They said they were going to do one in 2023 and look at what, look how that worked out. <laughs> to be so fair, they've been saying it since 2020. <laughs> we've yeah. only gotten, we've only gotten one E3 during the pandemic and it was the online only one. <laughs> and it's dunk. It was bad. It Though was I did so like dumb. my, we, we all made little avatars. That was fun. Yeah, we all hung out. Yeah, that, I don't even want to be remembered, <laughs> reminded of that. But Marcus, that's all the news that we are going to talk about today. We're going to take our first break of this episode. And when we return, we'll be talking about the games I played at PAX West, plus a Detective Pikachu Returns preview. We will be right back. I spent the last week on the road. Not only did I visit PAX West, but I also was invited to the Pokemon Company International's United States headquarters. We are going to start there, then work through a few of the indie games I saw while I was out in Seattle. So Marcus, first up, Detective Pikachu Returns. Did you play the first game? I did not. Did you see the movie? I did. Okay, so we're on the same page here. I did not play the first game, but I did see the movie. First of all, it, it's completely separate, right? Like it's different universe essentially, where uh, you know Detective Pikachu. It's kind of a similar uh, style of like story and everything, where it's like the the main character Tim Goodman lost his dad, and Detective Pikachu kind of lost his memory, but also like was associated with the dad. And uh, but they do give you kind of like a catch up from the, the story of the first game, because they, they assume a lot of people did not play Detective Pikachu, yeah, I think. An Ash Ketchup. An Ash Ketchup, yes, very good. I'm sorry, sir. Um, but I, I got to play the first chapter, or part of the first chapter, and like it, it kind of dumped me in the middle of this investigation where we're investigating a jewel thief that has rocked Rhyme City. You know, they broke oh, into wow. a mansion and st stole a precious jewel. And we had two leads. One was uh, involving a Ponyard, and the other one was involving a Ducklet. A Ponyard? Yeah, that, these are Pokemon. Okay, I thought you were saying like the I Ponyard. always have you on for Pokemon things. Don't forget about that, because yeah, you're, you're so knowledgeable about it. <laughs> uh, then there was a... So it dropped me into like a park sequence where like I was walking around a park and or a terrace in a park and like kind of investigating these clues around this area where this Ponyard was known to hang out in. And... You know, you found these things, and based on like the clues that you find in the area, you can unlock additional prompts and conversations. Mm. So, you know, that was it was kind of fun, just like investigating. It has kind of like that Phoenix Wright style, uh, like crime scene investigation okay. element to it. And then once you get into the conversation, like it's fun to just kind of see the personalities because Tim can't understand Pokemon aside from his Pikachu, and Pikachu can talk to the Pokemon. So it's kind of like you have Detective Pikachu who is like this gruff middle-aged man talking to you and like translating these Pokemon for you. So it's like, you're kind of getting like a, a lost in translations type of moment mm -hmm. where like he'll, he'll talk to you and you can have, you have to kind of like be like, all right, is this coming filtered through the lens of Pikachu, which is a very funny thing to think about. But um, yeah. And it, it leads to some fun moments and uh you know, there's also side missions like the local, they're called local concerns where like, you know, there's one that's just like, oh, this person is missing their Lillipup. And another person wants to quiz you like, oh, find me a Pokemon with a long tongue. And you go and you're like, all right, I found the Lickitung. And then you go back and, and talk to the person. And then uh, another one wants a, a little kid wants like a, a partner to play soccer with. So I found like 
a score bunny that that uh, that wants to play soccer. And uh, then there's a, a moment where like you go back to the crime scene, and you know the police are there. They have their Pokemon, and then there's a, a Growlithe that's there, and the Growlithe has like really good sense of smell. So there's a thing where you can do where like you have to you go separate like so in, in the first game from what i understand tim and pikachu were always together in the in the investigations in this one pikachu can actually go off with another pokemon and investigate and when you're playing as pikachu you can understand the pokemon and like actually talk to them mm. so that's kind of cool so wait and, do they talk in middle age voices too or they do not they no. voiced? they're not voiced oh damn <laughs> but it's funny because there was they, they leaned into it because like there's like all right what what should we try to try to lure the Pontiard out and it's like well here's like his favorite rock how do we lure him over to us and it's like maybe we just wait and pikachu's like ah good old-fashioned stakeout i love it and then like you wait around for a while it's like oh that didn't work and i was <laughs> like well why don't you try singing to get his attention and instead of just being like, no, I don't think that would work. The mid- the gruff middle-aged man voice Pikachu actually is like, whoa, whoa. And it's just like, it actually plays out like an extended song sequence, fully voiced. Mm. And <laughs> and then they're like, oh, well, that didn't work either. And then like the, the solution is like, all right, well, just stand on the rock because he's very protective of his rock. And then it's like, oh, that worked. I would love to know. Have you ever looked up footage of the first game? No, not really. I'd be curious like, if Pikachu sounds the same or if like Ryan Reynolds performance has informed the sequels like that Pikachu's voice I think it, at all. It stayed the same. Okay. I'm pretty sure it stayed the same. Um, but in the sequence that I was talking about with the uh, riding around on the Growlithe, like you hold, I think it was like the left trigger or something like that. And Growlithe will like smell and you can follow a trail to find one of the Pokemon you're looking for. Okay. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a fine game. It seems like, like I had a fun time with it. I, I would like to check it out. Yeah. And, I, I like games like that. Like I'm a big Phoenix Wright guy. I, I like stuff like professor Layton. So like mm-hmm. a Pokemon game that is basically sort of like one of those sounds more interesting than maybe the traditional games. And again, if it like just the absurdity of again, of middle-aged voice Pikachu, <laughs> like, it, it sounds like it would be a lot of like some fun moments in there. Yeah. And I, I think the best stuff is the dialogue right where it's like just kind of like getting to know the pokemon through their personalities which you normally don't get to do because they're just saying their name or doing like the digitized cry depending on what medium you're you're taking them in so actually having conversations like like Pontiard was like super all about like the samurai and warrior spirit and everything like almost like a a little miniature version of ryu is what it reminded me of oh, okay um, but yeah it was just funny to like have detective pikachu interacting with this guy um but yeah i don't know that comes out on october 6th i was just double checking that date Uh, just one of the many games coming that month yeah i'm sure it's not going to get lost in the shuffle whatsoever but again i had a fun time with it and i would like to check it out if i can find the time when the final game comes out Hmm. so let's talk about a few of the other games i saw while i was out in seattle uh another one of the ones that we already talked about rugrats adventures in game land that was you can play that actually co-op which is um, interesting. I did not play co-op, but I did watch somebody play co-op. It's one or two player co-op. You can help each other out. Like if one one of you gets downed, you can go like revive them essentially. Um, and then like, you know, there's there's a lot of like mechanics. Like you pick up a uh, like a, a flower bud and you throw it on the ground. And when you do it, it opens up and it will like, it's like a springy flower. So you can jump up. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of enemies you have to, you can jump on them or you can throw stuff at them. 
there were like blocks that you could like pick up and like it's almost like some puzzle elements to the platforming as well then there was a uh the a climb upwards and then eventually did come to a boss battle against thorg i'm now remembering and uh you know, basically he would like pound on the the vine that he was climbing on or like the canopy of the trees and like like spikes would basically fall down and then also an enemy would fall down you had to jump on the enemy to stun it and then throw it up and hit thorg at uh, and that you know once you deal enough damage there then that's the end of the demo the hardest part of the demo is this vine climbing sequence because they had these birds flying back and forth and you know the NES is a little bit stiff in like its platforming in some games, and trying to jump from one vine to another proved very tricky, especially with these birds flying in my way. I died a couple times there, but uh, yeah, I had a good time with it. It's a it's a fun retro platformer. I only played it in eight bit because I was actually doing it on an NES, so it uh, did not have the modern functionality. That would have blown my mind. Yeah, I, I was gonna, actually I was going to ask. I was like, wait, can you? But okay, makes sense. No, that would that would just you know, that'd be hacking the Nintendo <laughs> if you were able to do that <laughs> and replacing all the parts there within. So, uh, yeah, that's coming out in 2024. PlayStation, Xbox, PC, Switch, and the Nintendo Entertainment System, if you still have one of those lying around. Uh, I played a game called Anton Blast. I've heard of it. It was actually at the Devolver Direct. Yeah, so this That's is true. this was a game I just kind of, you know, I was stumbling around the the packs floor just looking for any indie games i can get my hands on and i found a few that i was really impressed by and then i was at the bar that night and i was talking to some people like oh you know the, the typical convention what, what's the cool stuff you saw today and i heard from a couple of fellow journalists that anton blast was one worth checking out and i'm glad i did mm -hmm. i went there and it's basically like it takes it, i would say the the closest the biggest inspiration is wario land so uh you're you know you're a, a, a big red guy and you're running around you have a hammer that you can use to destroy so basically you're you're like a demolitions expert so you're going through you're smashing stuff with your hammer and basically the entire premise of the game is that uh the devil has stolen anton's booze so okay. he is on a revenge quest to get his booze back and oh, really? uh that's what every level is you're retrieving a different bottle of booze <laughs> and uh <laughs> very weird premise like basically the, the satan wanted to be the reddest creature alive and anton is red like he's he's colored red so he thought like oh he's only that color because he drinks so much i'm gonna steal his booze so i can be the reddest creature alive kind of sounds like satan's trying to help him out he's like hey you got a drinking problem i gotta you know get you on the yeah. right path here so anton is on a revenge quest but yeah very fun platforming very fun uh momentum based moves that you can do so there's a little bit of sonic dna yoshi's island dna in there as well uh metroid uh dread is an inspiration as well so a lot of that style of like exploration not quite a metroidvania but you can approach levels in different ways mm -hmm. um so yeah i had a great time with that as well and then it ends with an escape sequence so like you retrieve your booze and then that the building starts coming down so a timer appears up on the top of the screen it's like all right you have like four minutes to get out of the level so you go backwards but like different paths are opening up and everything so it's not like you're just playing the stuff you played in reverse there's like different paths you can take to get back and if you're in a rush there are uh satan's minions are following you and like firing stuff at you so it's like a high action uh sequence and 
I only played one level and it was it was a good time. So I'm looking forward to this one. I never really got into the Wario Land games, but it kind of made me want to because mm-hmm. I, that art style is really appealing to me, and the um, the the gameplay really stuck out to me as super fun. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm. That's they're saying around this time next year is what they're aiming for. Okay. For a release, and from what I can tell, it's only Switch and PC. But I'm assuming that eventually additional platforms will get announced. But all we care about on this podcast is the Switch part. So <laughs> let's see what other ones do I have here. Uh, Rift of the Necro Dancer. That's another one that I think a lot of people are excited for. Yeah. Uh, did you play Crypt of the Necro Dancer? I did, and I. It's weird. I, I, I didn't like it as much as I wanted to, even though I love rhythm games. I love dungeon crawlers. Something about putting it together. And I had this problem with uh, Cadence of Hyrule and as well as a different game, but uh, Metal Hellsinger. Yeah. Where I realized I don't think I'm good at rhythm games when you combine it with a different genre. Because I almost I want to play it like the other genre and not stick to the beat. Because I feel like it slows me down, if that makes sense. Well, this or, might be for you then. Because yeah. this is almost purely music mini games so that i played two modes i played uh they're like almost like battles where it's like almost like guitar hero where it's like you know there's three lanes coming down at you and you have to hit the notes as they come but like the notes are enemies so it's like there's like bats and slimes and skeletons and everything but each enemy type has different ways that they react so like the shielded skeleton like you have to hit them twice really quick it's like on a half beat that you hit them so you hit them once and you hit them again on the half beat and then uh the bats like they're facing a certain way and when you hit them they go to the next lane over on the next beat so it's like you if you hit like on the i was playing on a keyboard so like i hit down and then that was like or uh was it up or down or whatever the middle lane was i hit and then it would go left so i had to have to hit left on the next beat so you had to always be keeping an eye on like which enemy you were fighting as well. So there were some uh, some really interesting elements at play. I tried the hardest one. Like it was some. Like, it was actually Alex Mukala's composition in the game, who uh, a lot of people know for his amazing compositions on social media, and also I think he's had some involvement with uh, Final Fantasy 16, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. But um, he does some amazing work. But he composed a new song for this, and it is tough i play i try because there was some challenge they had at pax and i was talking to the the woman who was doing pr and she was showing me the game and she was like yeah you, you want to try this challenge and i was like yeah it's like only one person has completed it at pax so far and this was i think the third day of pax so mm-hmm. it was uh it was a pretty tough one i was like oh let me try this i used to be like a competitive guitar hero player i could probably do this And I just, I needed more time to familiarize myself with the mechanics. So um, Mm. like the enemies that like were like bouncing around after you hit them, that, that was what really tripped me up. I had some good sequences in it where I was like really like feeling that flow state that you get when you're like really into a rhythm game, but then it would fall apart after like, I was like, I don't know what these enemies are. And then like, yeah. So that's coming out in 2024. Uh, Oh, I also played like almost like a rhythm heaven style mini game where it was like, you're doing yoga poses and each one had a different key that you had to introduce. And it would like the yoga instructor would do like the pose. And then like the three other people in your yoga class would do the pose on the beat. So you mm-hmm. had to hit, hit the pose at like the right time to pass the mini game. So that was, that, I don't know. I'm looking forward to that, that uh, rhythm games are very much up my alley. So that is one that I have marked down. That's coming out in 2024 on switch 
the last two, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this one. Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown. Yeah. Alex played this. I believe West may have played it as well at uh, Summer Game Fest. I did not get a chance to get my hand on it. I think this was the same stuff that they played. But yeah, it, it's very good. They could not stop singing the praises of it at SGF, and I can see why. The combat is super smooth. For those who don't know, it's like a 2D return to for the Prince of Persia series. And, you know, the combat's really smooth. The traversal felt great. You know, you're jumping, you're climbing, you're air dashing, all kinds of great moves. There's some mystical stuff happening in the game and beautiful art style. So I am all about that. The yeah, combat so and exploration feels great. Yeah, and it's coming out January 18th. So we don't have that long to wait. 2024, but, you know, we're already in September. 2023 is screeching to the finish line, like just mm-hmm. absolutely full speed ahead, pedal all the way down to the floor. This year has just flown by, and yeah. uh, it's not going to slow down anytime soon if you know September and October's release schedule are any indication. So Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown comes out January 18th. Then there's one more that I wanted to talk about. I don't know how to pronounce this. I'm going to go Comp. Comp 2. Okay. So it's I build... wanted to look at that as, as Guap. Which I was is a calling it Quamp. Yeah. I was calling it Quamp too. It's Q U or no, not no no U. That's why I think it's Comp. Q O M P two. So it it's a sequel, as the name suggests, but it is billed as an artful reimagining of Pong. So naturally, Atari actually picked up the publishing rights to the second game. The first game was from from what the people at the booth were telling me, the first game was developed by a one man development team, mm. and this one was the the developer did not want to do a sequel, but he was like, "Hey, well, I'll, I'll let you guys do a sequel if you want." So he sold, I think, the rights to the second game, and Atari bought them, and then put the developer that did Mr. Run and Jump recently in charge mm. of it. So you know, I liked that game a lot. So I think that this could have a pretty good quality, but basically. Instead of controlling the paddles, you control the ball. And so the demo actually starts out where like there's the two paddles and you're just bouncing and they're gonna keep bouncing it forever until you learn like, all right, you press A to redirect the ball. So you press A and like it changes the vertical direction. So if it's like going down, you press A and it'll, go, it'll start going back up. So you have to try to fool the paddles. And I just wasn't doing it, even though I was like trying my best. And then the person running the booth was like, oh, and if you hold the trigger, you'll actually charge up a shot and then that can go and that's how i ultimately got through there because anything blue also this tutorial teaches you is breakable if you do a charge shot on it so i just broke one of the paddles and then you know there's the there's like a a tunnel that appears after you go past that and into the next screen and that's where the level starts and basically you're going through almost like a puzzle platformer you are just trying to go through these areas these these levels and, you know, there's like different tunnels you have to do and there's obstacles you have to avoid. And your entire goal is to redirect the ball to get the right angle to go to progress through the level or get the collectible that you want to get. So it's kind of a cool twist on puzzle platformers, but also like maybe a little bit of breakout where you need to hit the, the correct angle in order to get to where yeah. you need to go. So that, I thought that was a really novel take on the genre and uh, on just 
the gaming in general. Like I'm, I, I always love, like, I feel like this was built for the people who used to like watch like the DVD screensavers and like wait for oh. it to hit the corner. <clears throat> yes. The most satisfying thing of the nineties. Yes. So mm -hmm. uh, it almost has that vibe to it where it's like, you have to hit just the right angle in order to get some of these or like, you know, there's even exploration elements where it's like, all right, how do I get through here? And it's, like, Oh, there's another tunnel up top that I need to go through. And it, that gets you to a whole nother level. And uh, so, yeah, that was that was a really fun game. That was the first game I played at PAX West. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. I, I got a press release for that. And I was like, an artful reimagining of Pong. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Oh, yeah. So, uh, does it look nice when you when you say artful? Like, does it have like a cool art direction or anything? I mean, it, it looks like Pong. So not like super flashy, but it does have like some colors that pop out and uh, some obstacles that obviously were not on the Atari 2600. Right. So, you know, it... It's artful in its design, I think, more so than its visuals. But who knows? I okay. only played the first, like, two or three levels. So maybe it does some cool stuff later on with the visuals. Because Mr. Run and Jump was all about doing some really cool stuff with its visuals, like very neon, very glow-based. That's kind of um, what I had in my head a little bit when you said that they were making it. Like, is it going to be, like, <clears throat> the Tetris effect of Pong almost? Yeah, I mean, that would be cool, too. Uh, if there, I mean, I'm sure there's – I wonder if there's going to be, like, a Pong mode or something. But oh, who knows? Just Oh, playing Pong? <clears throat> yeah, just play Pong, but like, I don't know. They already did Pong <laughs> Quest. Atari did Pong Quest a couple years ago, and I was, it was fine. It was not the biggest, I was not the biggest fan of that game. Uh, I was basically trying to do an RPG in the world of Pong. <laughs> the world of Pong. <laughs> it was, it, it, that was, yeah. I don't know what that, that was really, but it was, whatever. It, it, it was harmless. So I want, I want Larry in to do a Pong RPG <laughs> in the style of Baldur's Gate. Hopefully they don't have like the glitch that they just announced was a glitch where like all the people are too thirsty. <laughs> just uh, yeah, just pairing your paddles together. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, Marcus, we are going to take our final break of the show. And when we get back, I'm going to be doing a brief recap of what it's like to attend Nintendo Live. We will be right back. We are going to wrap up today's episode by talking about the experience of attending Nintendo Live, which was the first official Nintendo Fan Fest in the United States. It happened over the weekend in Seattle, but was a separate thing from PAX. So it was kind of confusing, even though they were both happening at the same time inside the same Seattle Convention Center. Wait, this what? was a separate thing. Yeah, you you would go through security and they would say, if you're going to PAX, follow the orange tape. because They had like tape on the ground. If you're going to Nintendo, you got to go up like three escalators and follow the red tape or, or whatever color it was. Maybe it was green. I don't know. Hmm. But anyway, it was very confusing. And uh, but I, I thankfully I was able to go to both of them. We talked about the pack stuff before this time. Nintendo Live is the focus. But yeah, it was kind of confusing. And it also forced packs to kind of separate itself into the both wings of the, uh, the Seattle Convention Center. So there's Summit and Arch. Summit is where PAX or Arch is where PAX West has always been. And Summit is a different part of Convention Center. I think it's a newer part, but it was like, all right, well, I, I want to see this game. Oh, it's in Summit. I'm in Arch. So you had to go all the way out of the building and then go across the street to the other part of the Convention Center and oh, then go no. back through security. And it was it's like <clears throat> a little bit of like, which hall is this? Yeah, is it was it, a little oh, confusing. No, it's at the Devolver 10 across the street. Dang it. <laughs> but Nintendo Live was up on the fourth floor of the convention center. And that was a little confusing as well. Because like you had to go up two escalators once you got there and wait in line to get your wristband for the day. And then go back down an escalator, which was inside of the, there was like a whole like flow that you had to go through. And the line to get in was rather long. 
but uh, thankfully I, I did have, you know, media people yeah, that I, could. I was curious about what the turnout would be for that thing. It was good. It was well attended. Like it was always pretty busy. Okay. I got a tour of it um, from our PR people that work with us from Nintendo. So thankfully I didn't have to wait in most of the lines. I did wait two and a half hours in the merchandise line because there was a, there was a really cool Seattle uh, Nintendo Live shirt that they had that was like the skyline of Seattle, but in 8-bit art. And okay. then it said uh, you know, Nintendo Live 2023 Seattle. So that was, I don't know. I, I did not realize the line was going to be that long. And then it was like an hour and a half deep playing. Like I lost track of time. Oh, so like you were just like, I'm committed now. I have yeah, at that point it was a sunk cost fallacy, right? Where I was just like, <laughs> well, I'm already an hour and a half into this. I don't have anything for another hour. So mm. let me just do that. So I got, a, I got a tour of Nintendo Live and it was cool. It was definitely fan focused. There was not a whole lot there for media members, aside from just like seeing the stuff, like being there for the first one in the U.S., you know, they had like uh, they, they had little like booths basically themed after all their games, but like they were mostly like photo ops and the chance to play games that are already out, which mm. is great for fans because, you know, like the casual Nintendo Switch owner is not going to buy every single game that comes out. So like if you bought if you if you haven't bought Tears of the Kingdom yet, they had a Tears of the Kingdom station where you could play the game a little bit. And then they had like a master sword that you could take a picture with. And then the Link statue that we've all seen where he's doing ultra hand or no, he's doing recall. Yeah. Um. They had a Kirby station where they had a bunch of like different Kirby statues with like uh, the the different powers that he has. And then they had mouthful mode Kirby or as a lot of people call him Carby because he's wrapped around a car. Mm-hmm. Um, There's an Animal Crossing section, which felt cool because like you, you were suddenly like on an Animal Crossing island. So there was like a little bridge you could walk across. There was a fire you could get a picture taken with. Jeez. They had a lot of like mascots that would come out. So I, I took a picture with Tom Nook and so, Isabel. Somehow it was still really hard to visit the island. <laughs> well i did have to hop on a plane to get there if that counts <laughs> they can go through like five load screens <laughs> um there was a lego station where you could build your own yoshi it was just like a little oh. tiny like yoshi figure that you could build did you do it no because there was a long line and it took like seven <laughs> minutes to to build the yoshi so i i did not do it but they had like a 14 foot tall lego bowser that actually moved what? and basically you would wait in line there and when you got to the front they would activate the bowser and it would play like the the castle theme from super mario one and you had to act like you were running Mm. and that um that that was just a video that you could shoot with your family or whatever and i saw the cutest family ever like the the mom dad and then the two kids were all cosplaying as mario luigi uh, uh peach and toad and it was the cutest family. And there was a little baby that was dressed up as Mario, like literally like maybe less than like, I mean, maybe a year old at most. He was just born. And I was thinking like that baby, once they start running, is going to like be crying its eyes out. But no, <laughs> it was having the greatest time. I've never seen a baby smile bigger than when Bowser was chasing them and the parents were running and going, ah. Not, not usually what Bowser's known for, putting smiles on kids' faces, but he well, did I mean, it. baby Bowser, he's always happy. Yeah, I guess Bowser Jr. is the name now. Baby Bowser was just in Yoshi's Island. But the there was also they had a I'm just looking through my pictures. That's why I have my phone in my hand. I'm looking through the pictures of that I took. They had an an 80s style living room that you could go inside, like shag carpet and like a a tube TV and like giant speakers set up on the side. It's like like the TV has to be set to channel three for accuracy. I don't know what channel it was on, but it had Super Mario Brothers 3 on it. 
Okay. So you, could, you could sit there and play Mario 3 on an old TV. There was a, a VCR in there. It was all wood panel and everything. Very cool. Like, it was just a nice little, like, transport. But they had, like, a yellow, like, like touch-tone phone that you could pick up and, and pretend like you were like talking on. I would like to go on. through that with kids so that they can look up at you and go, like, what kind of cavemen were you back then? <laughs> <laughs> How did you survive the Dark Ages? <laughs> so, of the booths, the highlight... The absolute highlight was they surprised everybody by having Super Mario Brothers Wander not only have a booth with like that you could take a picture with like in the pipe with like the big backdrop of the key art that we've seen, a 3D version of the key art, like the characters were actually like statues that were like suspended in midair, but also you could get your hands on Super Mario Brothers Wander. So a lot of fans actually got to play the game over Nintendo Live. They didn't tell anybody that was happening until the show floor opened the first day on Friday of last week. That's cool. So that was neat. That was a big thing. I got to play it again. Very, very fun. Um, but the absolute highlight of it all, I mean, because oh, first off, they also had Splatoon and Smash Brothers and Mario Kart that you could play. They had, um, they also had like esports style tournaments where they had like shoutcasters and they had uh, uh, commentators and like they had, like rows and rows and rows of seats. And they had some that were like, all right, get up here and like bring like your a game like be like super competitive play these games and we're gonna give prizes out to people they also had family focused ones where it's like all right kids can get up on stage and play like esports style competitions but like you know they're all kids so it's not like the highest level stuff it's just like all right just do it for fun and then like they gave everybody like oh everybody who like the winner gets like a like a bowser plushie and then the people who didn't win still got like another like a, like I think it was like a like a superstar plushie. So it was like they still came away with something. So that was fun to yeah. see like the kids participate and like have a fun time with that. I was talking to um, a content creator who brought her family and she was telling me they're like, oh yeah, like my kid like got up and did the like the Mario Kart competition and was like so excited to like just be able to <laughs> like play video games in front of an audience. Nice. So that that's fun that like you know, kids very much geared towards kids and like I got a picture with the 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 squid from Splatoon so that was good, mm-hmm. um, and then the highlight though they had performances. Okay, this is where I actually I went full on fan mode. So at I think it was eleven every day they had the Legend of Zelda Orchestra. Oh, and this was like a forty five minute long performance. Both performances were like forty five minutes long, and they played just a selection of songs from across the Legend of Zelda series. They started with like the Tears of the Kingdom main theme. They went back to um, like some songs from Ocarina of Time. They went back, they played some uh, songs from the original Legend of Zelda. I'm trying to think of what else they played. They played a Breath of the Wild medley, which was unbelievable. I, uh, let's see, there was a Skyward Sword song. I basically cried through the first three songs. Like it was just, it was like a 58, 58 or 64 piece orchestra performing mm. these songs it just like and they had gameplay on in the background i actually I, I don't post on tiktok very often i'm gonna bring up my tiktok right now um because i actually posted this and normally my tiktoks get i'm looking at some of my uh, my stuff 436 i posted a sonic 3 video which went what i considered viral at the time 5718 views mm-hmm. my Legend of Zelda Nintendo Live Orchestra performance is currently at 270,000 views. Oh, wow. And it, it people, uh, every time I open it up, it's more and more views. And uh, yeah, I was absolutely tearing up throughout the entire first four songs. And then we got to the Kakariko Village theme. 
oh my god that hit hard and then like you know just it, it, just hearing all these songs that just meant so much to me over the course of my life yeah like you know everything from the, the original legend of zelda is one of the first video games if not the first video game i ever played and ocarina of time was my favorite video game ever for about 20 years until breath of the wild took over and then you know tears of the kingdom is so fresh in all of our minds and seeing all the the, the gameplay playing in the background and it's funny because like the first few times I'm like tearing up. I'm like, I think I'm the only person like really getting hit hard by this. And then we got to the Breath of the Wild medley. And like I was sitting in the row with like the other people who were like kind of either media or content creators who were like kind of put in the back row just like so we could see, like experience it. And I looked over and yeah, the entire row was just like crying. <laughs> it's like the Breath <laughs> of the Wild medley. Um, so yeah, that was really awesome. That was my highlight of probably my entire weekend, honestly. And you can hear my voice is really starting to give out now. Um, but I also went back cause at 1 PM every day, there was the super Mario, super big band performance. And that was exactly what it sounds like. The exact same concept, but instead of an orchestra, it was a big band. So, you know, you had a horn section, you had a guitarist, you had a drummer, you had, um, you know, all the standard like rock instruments, but also a horn section playing. And I think it was a 16 piece band that was performing that and you know just playing all the hits you know i, I posted the, the the song that i played i posted of that was the slide song from super mario 64 um which you know the, i'm sure you know that song with the, the the guy whistling it was like the second song you hear after okay, bob on I, battlefield I, I played it the least out of the 3d marios I'll okay say. well it's also in yeah. other marios like anytime like you're writing uh oh, the, oh that's on the yeah 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 okay yeah so that was my highlight just because it's so catchy and but yeah hearing like the mario theme the the and hearing like the song from galaxy that everybody loves played with like a live band it was so cool yeah um, so those were my highlights were the performances and, but it was so great. Like, I don't know. I also get emotional whenever I go to these events because I really love seeing people take part in things that mean a lot to them, you know? Yeah. Like I was at the Sega booth and there was like the biggest, like a dragon fan that I've ever seen in my life. And they were just losing their mind over the chance that they were like, finally going to get to play like a dragon Gaiden or <laughs> You know, just seeing like, oh, my God, there's this giant picture of the Like a Dragon Gaiden uh, key art. And they were just like freaking out over that. And like, I don't know, it just get it, like people being so passionate and so excited about something always chokes me up every single time. It happens at least once every E3 or Summer Game Fest, like when like the crowd's losing their mind over like some announcement. I remember having never played Final Fantasy VII. I remember when Final Fantasy VII Remake got announced and people were just broken over the announcement and i that got me and like when sora i'm not a kingdom hearts fan at all when sora got announced for smash ultimate and you saw all the people just losing their minds on youtube like their reactions that got me hmm. i remember there was like a, a a star wars rise of skywalker and we know how that movie turned out but when that trailer came out there was a guy who posted himself like crying over the announcement and that made me cry because that guy was so excited so like seeing it happens to me at least once every convention but it happened to me multiple times because i had nintendo live and packs kind of and nintendo live definitely knew what they were doing with those orchestra performances yeah i mean that's one of the reasons why i love going to conventions it's like i always come away from them almost sort of like rejuvenated 100 percent. like because it's like it's like the epicenter for like 
it, it feels like a lot of the like cynicism and like just jadedness that you see online doesn't really creep its way into like physical conventions it's like no we're all here because we all love this yeah and, we're, and you get to be around people that are as passionate about this very specific thing as you are and you're just like hey we're just all having a good time right like it's, right we're all just having fun and you're like yeah we are and like you said even if it's something that i'm not as into as someone else you're just happy that they're happy and you're like it's almost like man i wish the internet was like a convention because like everyone's <laughs> just here just ha- we're just having a good old time just like you know hanging out the internet is a convention that never ends, which is the problem because, you know, talking to people at PAX on Monday, the fourth day of the convention, you start seeing the cracks. You start seeing, all right, I am exhausted. <laughs> I am like the first day, everybody's like, yeah, let's go PAX West or Nintendo Live. And it's just like by the end of the fourth day, people are like, can I just go back to my hotel and sleep for five days straight? Damn, you want to wait in line again? You sure? You so that that was Nintendo Live. I, if you're a fan of Nintendo, which I'm assuming you are if you're listening to this podcast, I implore you to check it out if it does come to a city near you. Right now, I think the next one is in Japan, but who knows? Maybe next year they'll do one in a different city or a different time or something. So definitely check that out if that sounds like it's cool to you. Um, definitely very fan-friendly, fan-focused. I'm assuming they're going to learn some lessons from this. I don't know what else they would really include unless it was just like more games to play because that, I mean, you could wait in line to play Splatoon. You could wait in line to play Smash Brothers. They had the, uh, they had the um, Nintendo Switch online retro stuff that you could check out if you hadn't subscribed. Like, oh, I can just go over here and use the Nintendo 64 controller to play like Mario Kart 64 if you wanted to. So they had stations set up for that and everything. So that was fun. Um, and yeah, I definitely recommend checking it out if you want to. I know that it was hard to get a ticket for here. So hopefully they, that's the, the big thing, I think, they need to figure that out. Yeah. Um, and of course, they had all the characters walking around. They created new costumes for like Peach and Yoshi and you get pictures with them. They had like a rotation of characters that were out on the, on the floor at any given time. You could wait in line. If you took a picture with them or if you played a game, they'd give you pins. So that was, that was a really cool touch as well, seeing as, especially seeing as how PAX is so centered around pins. So, uh, yeah, that was my experience at Nintendo Live. But, uh, Marcus, before we wrap up, I did want to get a little mushy here. I wanted to pass along a sincere and heartfelt thank you to everybody who has ever listened to an episode of All Things Nintendo. We are episode 100. Um, I, I guess technically it's episode 101. If you want to count that bonus Tears of the Kingdom trailer breakdown that I did while I was, I guess I was last March. But, of the official weekly episodes, this is episode 100, and you know this started out as a column idea. Actually, um, you know I I pitched it, I want to say four years ago as a column back when Game Informer was trying columns out. Like you know we had Kim Wallace had her RPG column, and Matt Cotto had his sports column, and Andrew Reiner had like a comics column. This started out in, or no, he had a sci-fi column. Excuse me. Uh, this started out kind of in that vein of like, let's, let's, let me just talk about Nintendo It'll be every two weeks and I'll just write about like whatever's happening, give my take on it. And then, you know, that didn't really ever get off the ground. And then I pitched it again in uh, 2021, early 2021. And it just, uh, Reiner in, uh, in his wisdom said, you know, I like the idea now, but let's do it as a podcast. And of course, you know, being a podcast, I was like, well, it should be weekly. It should not be bi-weekly. So let's do it weekly. I don't know if I'm going to have stuff to talk about. I don't know if people are going to listen to a weekly podcast about the same company every single week, 
But if there is one that I think people will listen to, it will be Nintendo. So, you know, the reception has been great. I, I met some people out at PAX West who are listeners. And that, that means the world to me. Like, it, it always means a lot when somebody reaches out and says, hey, I, I, list, I read your stuff or I appreciate your podcast on this or I, I saw your appearance on this episode of Replay or whatever. Anytime anybody consumes anything that I am involved with, it, it means a lot. And that we have listeners to all things Nintendo and they listen and they write in and you know they, they talk to me about it when I see them in person. It, it just means the world to me. And the fact that people are still listening to it a hundred episodes later, just it, it, it fills my heart and it, it motivates me to continue making this a better show. And I do read the reviews on, on Apple and, and Spotify and everything. And I, I do try to take that feedback as seriously as possible. I, people email me with suggestions and I, I have taken those suggestions to heart and I, I'm going to continue as long as I can making the show as great as it can. That's, that's why I'm doing video for this episode. Hopefully, hopefully I'm doing video. I'm recording it in video. Maybe it's not going to get put out in video because, you know, like I said at the top of the show, I am not a video editor. So if this is actually audio only, I apologize for my utter failure in the video department, but that is the goal is to make this a weekly video podcast. Now that we're a hundred episodes deep, I remember I actually started the podcast and you know we have to name the files and i started it as episode 001 instead of just 01 because i was like no we're, we're gonna aim for getting into the triple digits so the fact that we finally made it here uh it, it means a lot and the fact that people still listen to the show it it means even more so thank you so much and uh yeah hopefully we're doing bigger and better things we got some fun stuff on the horizon here already planned out so keep listening and keep writing in because it really does motivate me the same way that Marcus just talked about motivating and rejuvenating every single time he goes to a convention. So thank you to everybody. And, uh, you know, we're going to sign off here in a second, but Marcus, I, I appreciate you coming on so many episodes as well. I feel like you've been on maybe like a quarter of the all things Nintendo episodes at this point. Yeah. I mean, I said, congrats, man. I uh, like, I, a fan of the show too and i've always been super impressed with the work you put into it and honestly how you always are able to find times like you know we're not we're we're busy yeah. <laughs> there, have been, there have been times where it's like i don't know how we're gonna pull it out but you always find a way to uh to get a new episode at the door which uh you know as a podcaster and, and content creator myself i always am like impressed with how you find ways to to make it work basically so you know you've made it work for 100 episodes so you know i'm excited to see now that you're doing video, what else do you decide to do with the show and what directions do you take it? Uh, you know, keep it going, man. Keep it going. Thank you. And now watch, this will be the only video episode aside from the tears of the spoiler <laughs> cast. Like after we built this all up, I, candidly, I tried to do something really cool for the 100th episode, but unfortunately it fell through. So that's why we're doing video. That's a, that was the backup plan. <laughs> hey, like I said, you find a way to make it work. Exactly. But uh, Marcus, that is a show. Thank you for joining me for this landmark milestone 100th episode. Yeah, Mario's here too. He is here as well. Thank you, Mario, for joining this episode. Fresh off Nintendo Live appearances galore. Wahoo! <laughs> and thank you so much to everyone for listening. Do me a favor if you haven't already give all things Nintendo a five-star review and hit that subscribe button. And if you want to get any questions or comments in, you can get in touch with me at allthingsnintendo at gameinformer.com or hit me up on Twitter, Blue Sky, Threads, or Instagram at Brian P. Shea. You can also join the Game Informer community Discord, which is a perk for subscribing to our Twitch channel, even just for one month. Marcus, where can people find you online? 
You can find me on Twitter and Blue Sky at Marcus Stewart7. And just as my voice is getting ready to give out, that is our show for this week. Thank you again for listening. Take care. We will see you next time.